Welcome to As Told Here, conversations and stories shared in the public interest in Studio W at WPAA-TV and Community Media Center. As Told Here brings community media to where you are. Peace be with you. Welcome back to Humankind Both Exploring the Middle Path. A lot has transpired, unfortunately, in the negative realm, and it has to do with racial injustices and systemic discrimination from police brutality, from the death of George Floyd and many other African-Americans that have uh, lost their sacred lives because of police brutality. We're here talking about it. Hi, everyone. Peace be upon you all. I was sharing that in the forefront of my uh, thought, as this is all unfolding with the demands for equality and equity and justice, you know, I came to terms with my own ignorance. And, uh, you know, I'm always sharing I never attended high school in this country. And so I never studied U.S. history. I uh, moved back to the U.S. for good in the the early 2000s, and I was kind of dismissing of all of the um, inequity that I observed, uh, you know, thinking, well, we should all just learn to get along. Um, Why is there an issue to begin with? You know, I, I grew up very little in the U.S., but also in Egypt, where I didn't witness any, uh, you know, racial discrimination. Um, I have family members that are very dark skin and we're, you know, all blood family. And so I never really thought of it as an issue. And so I think it's natural, you know, when confronted with it to kind of dismiss it um, as a non-issue when really it's a deep, deep issue here in the United States. And a lot of that is our own ignorance. And so uh, having the humility to come to terms with that and to realize that you do need to educate yourself. I know this education came to me as sort of a coincidence. I had taken some students to uh, Dearborn, uh, Michigan to visit a lot of the Arab American communities in the United States, which, you know, I, I have a lot of uh, a background and experience um, in working with. And I was sharing with my students students, a lot of those, um, you know, histories of, of uh, Arab Americans moving to the U.S. And, and their struggles. And there happened to be an African-American museum, uh, you know, in the Dearborn, Detroit area. I figured, you know, a lot of Arabs come from Africa and there's a lot of connection there, a lot of similarities there. Let's, let's go to the African-American museum. I was overwhelmed, honestly, um, with the education that I received. And there were uh, some African-American students with me. You know, it's okay as an educator even to say, I, I have a lot of learning to do and I uh, did not know that you know this deep-rooted systemic racism has been happening and um, all of the stories I know in the African-American Museum there was lots of display there was one tunnel that we had to walk through where you heard the sounds of people in the slave ships crying out to you for help you had to see them it was really really difficult to process and I again I felt that kind of dismissing nature coming on I was like why how is this helpful why am I doing this to myself it was very traumatic But at the end of it, you know, as we were kind of debriefing and processing, I realized um, it it was important because it really helped me understand the depth of this issue and how just inhumane and, you know, there's just so much to be undone. So it helps build empathy to really do this educating. And I really urge everyone, especially of my own background, someone that was did not study U.S. history, maybe just did not receive enough education on African-American history to really do their own homework and to to research this because you'll learn that 
um, there's just so much more that needs to be done than just getting along, uh, tolerating or, you know, being friendly with. Like I said, I, I grew up in Africa myself and I thought of it as a non-issue, but it's different in the United States. That brings us to, is it just a few bad apples? And, and we're seeing that it's not. It's more ingrained, it's systemic, it's institutionalized. Uh, and it's coming from the very people that we're supposed to be trusting and that are supposed to be serving and protecting us. Of course, not all of them, but there is some institutionalization to that that we need to dismantle and figure out. You know, we've seen a, a surge of protests and rallies and, um, you know, even lootings and things done. And uh, Susan was just talking about how many times that like, it's exposed to the public in a way as if you think it's being done by those who want justice. There's a great deal of evidence that there are, are agitators that are trying to perpetrate the uh, inhumanity of persons of color, the, um, the fact that this isn't a justice issue, that uh, they have no respect for themselves or their community. Um, and the agitators are in fact the ones that are creating the scenes of looting, creating the disturbances, the violence. It is more likely not to be people of color that are initiating these kinds of responses. They might get caught up in them once they get started. And that is a lesson that I learned actually when I was part of a SWAT training for police officers in Connecticut in uh, the early 70s. It was one of the very first SWAT trainings. It was when police training began to become militarized but they weren't actually being given the hardware and the tools of war at that time. The day after I testify against the death penalty, I get to embody Patty Hearst in a role play training. And there was a sergeant that was guiding my actions through the four hour exercise. And in that exercise, I, someone who didn't believe in carrying a gun or owning a gun, had a gun in my hand, and ultimately took the life of six police officers. It was such an intense experience that they would not even allow me in the debrief with the officers because they were so angered uh, in the whole experience of lives being taken and, and um, not being able to to sustain their power in the situation they actively felt that they needed more training as a result of this but for me it was like oh my god i realized that if i had access to a gun regardless of what i thought i believed if i was put in a situation that um, endangered my life or my family and i had access to a gun i would use it and that was such a scary thing to um, experience. And I think that day is one of the most vivid days in my memory. I tried to invite a, a individual who's been 40 years uh, as part of training police to a conversation. And so far he's been quiet. He was with me that day when I came back and uh, knew how challenging it was. I w and he's been with police training for the past 40 years, uh, I would just love to hear his voice commenting on what's happening these days.
the agitators have been part of the process since the early 60s. Um, the laws have been post-Civil War uh, and the experience of going to museums. I did go to museums in 2003 and it was eye-opening so you don't have to be someone um, that wasn't brought up in the U.S. to have your eyes open it, even though we did get some experience in, in history classes. It's never enough. There's always more to understand. Uh, I remember when I became a U.S. citizen, I can see opportunities there for educating on the African-American experience. I think it's important that in order to be a citizen that you understand these issues in hopes that you become part of the solution, too. I mean, taking that oath of citizenship really means a lot and uh, contributing to this um, goal of kind of leveling leveling the playing field. I mean, it's for everyone to do. I'm glad that we're revisiting this and I'm, I'm glad that it's turning into a global call for justice, really, not just in the United States. You can see a lot of international curriculums now carrying this uh, opportunity. It is a global issue and it is something that goes way back. Our Prophet Muhammad spoke about it uh, and about, you know, being anti-racist. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I'm in the public school as a teacher and uh, I quickly noticed that much of the education and curriculum is based around primarily European uh, Christianized viewpoints. Not, not that it's a negative thing, but just that it's not totally inclusive perspectives. Like we're mentioning that over 14 centuries ago, you know, an unlettered orphan who became the prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, uh, in his farewell sermon in 632 AD, said that you are all brothers and sisters one of another. You are, you're all from Adam. He is your father. Treat each other equally. He said no Arab has preference over a non-Arab and vice versa. And he said a no white has supremacy over a black and vice versa, except in righteousness, except in goodness. And that's a Quranic verse that we created into tribes and sub-tribes. And, you know, the Quran talks a lot about how at that time there was slavery and how it in 23 years it, it practically dismantled slavery having africans as second class because it elevated um, a black slave bilal the, uh, you know god be pleased with him to being the caller of prayer the only and first man to stand on top of the kaaba and give the call to prayer and he and, and he remained as such and he remained a vital force of justice um, you know, Islam is based off of justice. God says that adhere to justice. And then after justice being the foundation, you can have peace. You can have doing good to one another and then treating everybody like kindred. It's a step-by-step -step process. And if you look at the Islamic organization and the community, Blacks have been calling to prayer. They've been leading us in prayers. They've been chapter presidents. In the United States, our Ahmadiyya community, being the oldest registered uh, Islamic organization in America, was on the backs of giants, and those giants were African-American. The earliest pioneers and converts were African-American Muslims. They were the ones who were trapped their presidents and leading the fight for justice, predating the civil rights movement, uh, influencing Martin Luther King, influencing Malcolm X, influencing Muhammad Ali, and you know these, these vital forces we learn about in history class, but we don't know 
what predated them or what started these grassroots movements. And it went beyond faith, uh, you know, interfaith, uh, you know, collective uh, struggles and understanding that if it happens to one of us, it happens to all of us. I know coming from our community, we're discouraged to protest because protesting can lead to violence, but we are doing our part in writing letters to the editors, reaching out to our uh, mayors and legislators and asking them to, you know, make some legitimate changes that are preventative and ensuring justice and equality for all. Although, you know, I'm not going to discourage African-Americans from hitting the street you know, and having their voices heard in any way, that we want to respond to this with justice and with goodness so that we can make lasting changes. In terms of protesting, sometimes it's conflated with looting. I think we certainly have to differentiate the two and not assume that the looters are uh, speaking on behalf of the Black community. I mean, looters are, by definition, criminals. I mean, it, the, the, the behavior is criminal. And I don't think the looting aspect has anything to do with justice or George Floyd specifically. I think a lot of the people um, who are, you know, doing these criminal activities have it in them innately, and they're just using this as a scapegoat to let that behavior out. But in terms of protesting and blocking highways and and, and being very uh, disruptive in that sense, I'm all for it because, yes, there should be no peace if there's no justice. We cannot say all lives matter until Black lives start mattering, and they haven't been mattering for, for a very long time in this country. It, it's interesting because it's an issue, but I also like uh, the approach that is, uh, these celebrities like Denzel Washington, Morgan Freeman, they they actually say we shouldn't pay mind to it. That's their way of addressing racism is somehow not constantly bringing it up. It's interesting because we constantly bring it up and nothing has ever gotten done. Maybe we should just all, if possible, ignore it to the point where it doesn't exist anymore. That's certainly something we could debate about or talk in, in more detail. Right now, I, the pain is real. You know, the, the, the community is feeling the pain. They, they try kneeling down, and that also was an unacceptable form of protesting. So now, what are they left with? You know, they, it's a hurting community, and we have to hear them out plain and simple. Rather than judging their form of protesting, let's just sit back and watch and and see how this plays out. Certainly support them while we can. I understand where Jonathan is coming from. I I feel like I was there as well, thinking, you know, if we don't talk about it as much, if we don't use it as a distraction and focus on the real issue, sort of like with the issue of looting, I think that shouldn't be the focus here. I think the focus should be on the lack of justice, you know, or the injustice that's been happening for a very long time. If you're uh, a faith, you know, you'd say God hates injustice and, and so must we. So you you actually have to hate injustice. And, and that hate can lead to anger. Um, of course, you don't want it to. You want it to lead to some kind of positive outcome. And so a lot of that discussion, uh, I feel like, comes from how do I become an ally, a true ally, and not just, you know, Uh, a tolerant person or an accepting person, but an actual ally, like someone who stands up and and does the work, someone that helps out. You know, if if you have a friend, you know, they expect you to help you move and and, uh, do the heavy lifting and be there for you to comfort you at the time of need and and not just, you know, be accepting of you or tolerant of you. They do the work. I want to see that 
that conversation come to the forefront rather than the looting because I, I feel like the looting has just become a detractor or a distraction. Yes, it's going to happen. There's a lot of anger because there's a lot of injustice and it's natural. We have this, you know, prophetic wisdom to always try to keep yourself from from feeling angry. You know, the, the number one prophetic advice was don't be angry. But we know that we're human and that's not always going to happen, at least not right away. We just center the conversation on fighting injustice and doing the work, learning how to become a true ally. It, it can come from asking our African-American brothers and sisters, but then a lot of time I feel like that's also putting too much pressure on them to, to come up with the solution. Solutions can come from everyone and everywhere. By not talking about it at all, I feel like that gets rid of the opportunity. I feel like if we dismiss it as a non-issue, like I want my hijab to become a non-issue. But it's not going to happen like that overnight. There has to be a lot of educating and lots of opportunities for people to really see it, what it feels like. It comes from a lot of traveling and lots of, you know, experiences um, living in communities that are different from your own. And so there's there's ideas, there's work that can be done, and, and that can only be done if we're talking about it. So the, the conversation is absolutely necessary, but the right conversation is also critical. There's been mention of looting in this conversation. Most of the violence that has erupted during the past eight days has been instigated not by the protesters, but by agitators that have a strategic interest in getting the persona of looters and destruction out there. It's like Fox News put out the impact of the assassinations or deaths of key people momentarily, but they achieved their objective. They pulled it back and said they shouldn't have done it and apologized, but it was already out there. That is part of systemic strategies to make groups of folks appear according to a stereotype, according to a, a narrative that is desired. There is white supremacy that's underlying all of all of this the christian church has participated in both sides of the story trying to be faithful has kept some people of color quiet uh, and and not willing to speak about it and trying to trust in god um, and it has turned some of some folks away from the church similarly because they saw no action uh, or results we are actually in an interesting turning point. I think this, having lived through the 60s and now seeing this, we need to look forward and use people coming forward and saying they are allies now and speaking up, like the mayor who increased the funding for police and is still supporting that, but paints Black Lives Matters on the street. Um, it's considered perform performance allyship and not necessarily uh, something that the people of color want to happen. That painting of the street has created a whole continuum of reactions from it's just a performance to it's a starting point to um, misnaming it the address for the White House. I mean, it's all kinds of things that have happened with that one moment. But having the avenue and having a conversation that still needs to happen in DC about de reorganizing police, not necessarily defunding them. They don't want to totally eliminate the police force. That line of defund the police is really about 
starting over and getting rid of the core, not quote the bad apples, but the systemic approaches, the lack of good training, the, the, the things that police are being asked to do that they maybe shouldn't be asked to do. Maybe we should be sending social workers to people's homes for domestic violence calls. They're being asked like teachers to do everything and they're being trained to be militant rather than peacekeepers. And so defund police is about demilitarizing them and giving them the appropriate role in a community. And rioting is not really what is happening with protesters most of the time. They might eventually be provoked in some instances where they've been oppressed and say, you know, burn down that stuff that doesn't belong to us anyway because we can't own it. But if you look at the history of almost every violent act that's happened in the last eight days, you're going to find that it was seeded by an agitator and started by a person that was not a color in almost 90% of the cases. Any last words on personification of and stereotyping folks? Yeah, I definitely agree with uh, living in a place that has uh, given too much control to the police force. Um, it, it, I can see that happening here. And like you said, I uh, would like to see, you know, social workers becoming uh, more funded in this area rather than the police having a hand in everything. I feel like to an extent we have kind of given too much power uh, to them. Uh, and there's so many opportunities, again, for uh, intervening in mental health issues, inter intervening in d domestic uh, violence issues. Um, so many spaces where involving the police is really not not the right, um, you know, idea or not the right avenue. And uh, I I'm glad that we're looking into that. And I hope there's a lot of change in that area. Thanks to our local producers and Team Hercules for production support. As told here, conversations and stories shared in the public interest in Studio W at WPAA-TV and Community Media Center. As told here brings community media to where you are.